If you would, go ahead and turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 24. Uh, And as we uh, look there, I'm going to read it in just a minute. Um, But I want to have a few opening uh, remarks to our for our text. Uh, As you all um, know uh, well, that this has been a tough week. Um, Maybe not for us personally, uh, but certainly a tough week that we have seen... uh, Levels of uh, violence and hatred and anger, um, fear uh, 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 around us and around our country and spilling over to our world. Levels of darkness on display um, that truly reveal a brokenness in in society that maybe we've always known and don't always see in full vent. Um, we see a brokenness in culture. We see brokenness of families, brokenness in cities and states and many other places. Uh, if, it, if for me, as I'm sure it has been for you, it's been very hard to watch um, with all kinds of emotions and thoughts and feelings that, that come up from watching uh, some of the footage um, it truly makes us ask the questions what hope does this world really have clearly this hope doesn't come from leaders quote unquote there's no hope from ballot boxes because that's where our leaders come from. There's no hope in getting the next Supreme Court nomination. There's no hope that our world has. The anger, the fear, all of it is a display of a lack of hope in anything. And it has manifested itself in very evil and wicked ways. I don't know about you, but I have been deeply grieved. I have been deeply angered. Where I almost want to like punch my computer screen. I have been hurt. I have been fearful. Worried for the future, worried for my children's future. And yet, in God's good providence, brothers and sisters, we come to Luke chapter 24 this morning. The pinnacle of the gospel story. All this is going on in our world today. Hell in a handbasket. And we come to Luke 24, the pinnacle, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And every time I was feeling this way, my work would bring me back to the text where my soul would be overwhelmed with an everlasting hope. A hope that's not in this broken world 
It's not in this broken world. This world is broken. It has been shattered since Genesis 3. It hasn't, it's not becoming shattered. It is shattered because we live here. All of humanity lives here. This world is broken. And all of these things around us is all its end game of sin. This is the end game of sin. And Satan is to destroy it all. And these things are on at hand and they're on display. And, and seemingly they seem to be stronger and more in control than the things that we know for sure. But when we read and sing that the Son of God was raised from the dead, according to Scripture, Romans 1 verse 4, was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. And we know that the resurrection of Christ is our hope. It's what our hope is fixed on. And let me tell you why. Romans 6. We have hope because of the resurrection of Jesus. Verse 5 of Romans 6. For if we have been united with him in a death like his. Take up our cross. We come. We've died of ourselves. And we're now living in Christ. We shall certainly be united with him. Christ is mine forevermore. And we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now we have died with Christ. We believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, verse 10, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ, alive to God in Christ Jesus. Romans 6 5 through 11. The hope of the resurrection that we have today is that Christ is alive and we live in him alive. Once the dead bones decaying in the wilderness, the preaching of the gospel came and brought new life and breathed life into us through His Spirit. The thief has come to only to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus has come to give life and have it abundantly. Now back, not back, but moving into Luke 24 now. John Calvin in his commentary on the Gospels introduces this text and he says this, He says, we have now come to the closing scene of our redemption. For the lively assurance of our reconciliation with God arises from Christ, having come from hell as the conqueror of death, in order to show that he had the power 
of a new life at his disposal. Justly, therefore, does Paul say that we will, that there will be no gospel and that the hope of salvation will be in vain and fruitless unless we believe that Christ is risen from the dead. For then did Christ obtain righteousness for us and opened our opened up our entrance into heaven. And in short, then our adoption was ratified when Christ, by rising from the dead, exerted the power of his spirit and proved himself to be the son of God. Now, though he manifested his resurrection in a different manner from what in the sense of our flesh would have desired, still the method of which he approved ought to be regarded to us as best. No one expected that day the resurrection. And Calvin even tells us here that if it was up to us, we probably would have made the story go a little bit differently, meaning there would be actual eyewitnesses to the, to the, 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 the time the resurrection took place and how it went uh, about. That's probably how we would have made it look or we would want it to be. But he says, nonetheless, Calvin does that this story is nonetheless perfect and approved to be best. In our 12 verses this morning, we won't even hear the words, technically, of Jesus speaking. In fact, Jesus is completely missing from this whole passage. He's not even there. He's not even there in the tomb. Let's look at verse 1 and let's read it together. Luke 24, verse 1. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, when they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they have found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you. While he was still in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. In returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and all to the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna the Mary and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them as an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloth by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. This is the word of the Lord, and may his Holy Spirit move in our hearts to hear and to see his holy, inspired, inerrant word for his glory and for our joy. Amen. I have a pretty simple outline for us this morning. 
And so we're going to jump right in. Simple three points. Now, I know that this first point may not come to you as a shocker. It will probably will not stun you. And most of you, probably all of you, it's not even going to offend you. But it still is a shocker. It is a stunner. And to most people, this certainly is one of the biggest stumbling blocks for them when it comes to Christianity and the gospel. Point one, he is risen. I know I'm, I'm speaking with, with such audacity and, and so offensively to the, to the modern mind especially. But that's what the angel says to the women that morning. At the crack of dawn, at first light, the first day of the week on Sunday morning, a little bit earlier than now, these women, Mary Magdalene, Joanne, and Mary, the mother of James, and some others, we, we see it directly in the text tells us who was there. They got up early. They gathered all that they would need to finish up what they had started that Friday afternoon, and they came back to the tomb. They came back to the tomb with, with, with love, with devotion, and out of respect for Jesus. Mark 16, verse 3 tells us on the, actually, the conversation that they had on the way to the tomb. They were, they were talking to each other like, you know, we're going to get there and, and the stone is going to be there. Joanna, are you going to be able to get that? What if we all work together? Do you think we can get it? And no. That was their conversation. Who's going to roll the, the stone away? Not to mention that the stone was sealed. And even the mention of that, the guards that were set there, that were supposed to be there, that morning. But when they got there, what did they see? Verse 2, the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. Okay. Odd. It was early. Maybe Joseph came back with his boys and they, they rolled it away and they were doing some things. So they went into the tomb. And again, what did they not see? The body of the Lord Jesus Christ was gone. And Luke describes their emotion. I, I love that. You, you can definitely tell that there was direct conversation there inspired by the Lord. We see in verse 4, they were perplexed. That's a great word. Word of the day. Perplexed. They were bewildered. They were confused. They were at a loss. They were puzzled. They didn't understand what had happened. And in their minds, they couldn't reconcile the, the logical possibilities at what happened to the body of Jesus. Who would take the body of Jesus? Who rolled the stone away? Now, I don't want to diminish the love that these women had for Jesus and the devotion that they had for Jesus and the respect that they had for Jesus because clearly for these women to get up that morning before anyone else and to be devoted in such a way was very special. They were the first ones to come to that tomb, but why were they perplexed? Should they have been perplexed? Didn't Jesus already tell them that, that he, would rot, be, he would be raised on the third day? 
yes, we, we know that. We've, we've done the hard work of plowing through Luke. We know that several times that Jesus told the boys and told the ladies that he was going to rise from the dead. So they should have expected exactly what they saw that morning. In fact, the disciples and them all should have ran to the tomb that morning, waiting to see where Jesus was at. Eagerly waiting. But before we break bad on them too much, think about how many times we forget about the hope that we have in the resurrection. Think about how we lose hope. How we press too hard into this world and expect too much out of it. We look to its systems for our assurance. We look for breath and health and safety and wealth and comfort to be our hope. Brothers and sisters, we can live life greatly perplexed. Greatly perplexed by life and not understanding and forgetting the reality of the resurrection. So if anything, anything, we can be sympathetic with these women who were perplexed. And we can be sympathetic with the boys who weren't even there, who were hiding. The women were perplexed and still today, so many are perplexed and so many are still confused about the resurrection. Others dismiss the resurrection altogether and they, they call it nonsense, it's just a myth or, or they completely dismiss the actual historicity of Jesus' own even existence which is stupid. Just going to say that's just nonsense. When the Apostle Paul preached the gospel at the temple in Athens, at the Areopagus, when he preached the gospel and they were all listening intently. But when Paul got to the resurrection, what happened? Many sneered at him, made fun of him, and they considered it nonsense. Brothers and sisters, the, non- the, the nonsense to this world is the very hope of our assurance of the promises of God to us. Not too, many, not too far from our, many people in our today are just like those Athenians. Maybe you have friends. Maybe it's family members or, or a classmate or a professor's. The resurrection is a massive stumbling block for many in them who have this modern mind, who don't consider the resurrection even objectively without bias because to them it's just plain impossible. Miracles don't happen and nothing can happen outside of what they can know within their own scientific minds. However, if objectively considered... The resurrection is more than just a viable possibility. It is the reality. And, and Luke for us points to, points to us those evidences. And the resurrection is the most important doctrine of the Christian faith. It's one of the most important doctrines of the Christian faith because without it, there's no Christianity. It's what the Apostle Paul says. He said this was all be, would be nonsense. If he didn't raise, rise from the, the, the dead, then with, without dispute, Jesus was just 
a mere man. But if he did rise from the dead, he is not just a mere man, but the son of God. And Luke is showing us here that Jesus did not just spiritually survive. He wasn't just physically resuscitated, but in his resurrection, he was raised to life. Jesus conquered death to a new plane of existence as the resurrected Savior who appeared and disappears and walks through walls. I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves. We'll get there. And the angels that morning say to those women, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Luke is making very clear to us that the body of Jesus Christ is gone. And eventually the the, the disciples and the women would come to understand that that Jesus had been resurrected. And and we know that because just weeks after that, the, the apostles were boldly proclaiming the message of what? That Jesus is alive. That God sent him to be the propitiation for their sins. You crucified him, but by the power of God, he is now alive. That was their message. He was crucified at the hands of men, but by the power of God, he was raised from the dead. And if there was a body still in the tomb, how in the world would they expect anyone to take them seriously with such a message? Uh, It's right there, guys. Nope. Nowhere to point to. Because the tomb was empty. So the question then is, how? How is the tomb empty? Well, maybe it's because the women went to the wrong tomb that morning. Maybe the, 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 they just went to the wrong tomb. And we, you can insert a sexist joke there if you want. But remember, the boys weren't even there. It was early. They hadn't had their coffee yet. They got lost. But yet, do you remember last week's passage? how the women knew the exact details of the place and the tomb that Jesus was in, his body was in. They knew the where, they knew the how Jesus's body was, was placed and what tomb it was in. They knew it was a new tomb. And also, it wasn't just mere sentimentality of why they, were, they got up early that morning to go to the tomb. They had a job to do. So even if they did go to the wrong tomb, they would have found the right one. Also, the witness of Peter and John, you see it in verse 12, where Peter goes to the tomb, and they verify the exact same story. They didn't make that mistake. So, okay, that's, okay, that's true. We'll accept that evidence. Maybe... Maybe Jesus was just in a coma. On the cross, he he slipped into a coma. He didn't really die. He was just kind of swooned, the swoon theory. Maybe Jesus lost consciousness and and then after he was laid in the tomb and and while he was in the tomb, you know, the, the cool air of the tomb and, and the, the, the quiet and the still and the peace he became revived again. 
And he was able to unwrap himself from the, from the linens and the pounds of oil and ointment that had already been pointed on him. And then he pushed the stone away. And he walked past the guard saying, nothing to see here. You can clearly see that there's massive problems here. Jesus' side was pierced because he had already died. If he was still alive, the executioners that day would have made sure that Jesus' legs would have been broke and that he would have been dead. Pilate would have never let Jesus' body off the cross if he was not dead. And after all of the trials, the mockery, the flogging, the crucifixion, which, by the way, is not death by nails, but it's death by asphyxiation from hanging on the cross. And so for that 36 hours of, of, term, of, 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 uh, of pain and anguish, with no medical care, no treatment whatsoever, even in that time, his body all wrapped up in the linens, in a modern mind, is supposed to expect to believe that Jesus just woke up, unwrapped himself, pushed the stone away, and waltzed past the guards. No. That's impossible. Because we know Jesus was dead. Okay, maybe then it was thieves that stole the body. Maybe the thieves stole the body of Jesus, or, or, or maybe it's the, the, the Pharisees who propagated, in the Gospel of Matthew, we know who propagated that the disciples stole the body. So maybe it was the Pharisees who stole the body, and they just blamed it on the disciples. Well, what was the reason why the Pharisees advocated to Pilate to put a guard of 16 soldiers on the tomb? It was to keep the disciples from stealing the body. So why would they take the body? And by the way, the soldiers who were under threat of death, why would all of them fall asleep at the same time so that a bunch, a, a small group of a bunch of scared disciples and a bunch of women could get past them and maybe roll the stone away and get Jesus's body? I don't think so. And even if that was true, if the disciples really stole the body of Jesus, how far would that lie really go? How far would, would, they, would they get with it that they, uh, uh, that they preached the gospel throughout the known world under the death of threat of their lives and they even died for that very truth? We see a group of men who are not cowards, who are not wavering in what they believe, but completely committed to what they believe. Sure, people can say they were crazy, but they were not hypocrites. They were not hypocrites. They were absolutely convinced of the resurrection of their Savior. Okay. Maybe, not likely, but let's cover all the bases. Maybe the Romans took the body of Jesus. Or maybe the Jewish authorities did. They could, have, they could have taken it before anyone else could. And it was all just one big misunderstanding. 
But do you see the unlikeliness of this? Because if the Jewish authorities or the Roman authorities took the body of Jesus, don't you think they would have produced the body at a point when these guys were making such problems for them? You see, here's the body, and it would have ended it all. It would have ended it all. But they didn't. And the reason why they didn't is because the body of Jesus wasn't even there. And here we are 2,000 years later, meeting together on a driveway, sometimes in a rec department and other places. And here we are, and why? Because as the angel said, he he is risen. He is not missing. He is risen. These theories cannot hold any water to the facts, to the evidence from history, from the evidence of the, of the gospel. So then is it at all unreasonable to say that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead according to scriptures, just as it was written in the gospels and as it was proclaimed by the messengers that day? The evidence without a doubt confirms that Jesus is alive. But brothers and sisters, it's not about the evidence. Evidence does not merely change hearts and change lives. What changes hearts and what changes lives to the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the Holy Spirit through the word of God. And that alone produces faith. That alone produces faith. Our faith, brothers and sisters, is not a holy, wishful thinking shot in the dark. All those evidences right there show us completely different. It is not based on fantasy. It is not fairy fairy tales. The Christian faith is true. Christian faith is based and built upon what is truth, the word of God. So we can be certain of the gospel. And the word of God shows us direct evidence direct evidences that the body of Christ was not there that morning. Not because he was stolen, not because he revived himself from because he was in a a coma or not because he was stolen, but because the Lord raised him to life. He is alive, resurrected. Point one then, is he is risen. And this brings us to our second point from this passage. And, and it's in the words of the messenger, such powerful words that these angels get to say. Angel says to the women in verse four, it says, well, while they were perplexed at this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. These are angels, verse five. And as they were frightened, they bowed their faces to the ground And the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Again, this is just great news and and the greatest of news in all of the world. Love these words. There is a hint of rebuke here as well. You can see it. Almost a you should have known. But they continue in verse 6. Look what they tell them. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. 
So what did the angels tell the women? They told them to remember. To remember what Jesus told you. Specifically, what he told you when he was still in Galilee. I can tell you the time and the place, ladies, where you were when he spoke to you. Remember. It's like if you were with an old friend that you haven't seen in a while, maybe a friend from college or a friend from childhood, and, and you're just talking about these particular stories and maybe crazy things that have happened, and, and, and you're telling the story, and you can kind of see in their eyes that they don't maybe remember the same thing, and you look at them and say, yeah, Chuck, you were there with me. You remember? You were there. And it's the same way. They're, they're telling them to, to remember. Yeah, you were there. And the gospel actually, I mean, just completely uh, solidifies that for us. That's the truth. Luke chapter 8, verse 1 through 3 actually tells us that these women were with Jesus at this time. That they were there with him in Galilee. And then in Luke 9, 22, Jesus tells all his followers that he would suffer and be rejected by the religious leaders. But then on the third day, he would be raised. They were there. They heard Jesus's words. They're telling them to remember his words. Remember what Jesus had told you. Remember what Jesus has told you because only then, listen to me, only then will any of this, the empty tomb will make any sense at all. When you remember the word of God, will then anything start to make sense to us at all? The evidence is that we've already walked through. They're helpful. The logic is sound. But to make sense of the missing body, to make sense of the resurrection, is to do what first? To remember the word of God. To remember the word of God. And I love verse 8. There's such grace in verse 8. And they remembered his words. Oh, this is so important. It's almost like you're doing the combination lock and you're, you're frustrated by the lock. You can't get it. But then all of a sudden, all the tumblers fall in place and voila, it's open. They remembered his word. The light switch turned on. Remember what Jesus said. And that's why his body is not here. In the word of God, the lenses of how we look at life, the word of God makes sense of it all. I've enjoyed listening and reading good apologetics, good defenses of the faith. And when I listen to Ravi Zacharias, who, by the way, has recently passed away, when I recently, when I've listened to his messages, wow, they're so good. But it's not a good defense or arguments that changes the heart or the mind of the lost, the ones who are set against even the resurrection. They're helpful. They're good. They have their, their, their place to engage in answers with good answers because we have glorious answers to those questions. But what is needed is the word of God, the preaching, the proclamation, the sharing of the word of God. The gospel is the only place where man, through only man, could be saved. 
through the preaching of the gospel. And the only way that we truly can make sense, brothers and sisters, and have peace in this life when we are perplexed and when we are overcome is remembering the Word of God. It's just like any other part of the Christian life. How do we grow in grace? How do we mature in the faith? How do we fight sin and resist the evil one? How do we learn to love one another and forgive one another and bear with one another and encourage one another and exhort one another? By believing and knowing the word of God. So no wonder the exhortation to the women that morning was, remember the words of Jesus. Remember what Jesus told you. You know, so many want to interpret the scripture through their lives. But what we see the the angels telling the women and what is necessary is this, is interpret our lives through the word of God, not the other way around. Life is challenging. And in times of tragedy and unexpected loss, when we are just perplexed and we can't wrap our minds and our hearts around all that is happening around us, it's hard and we wrestle and we struggle and even sometimes close to despair of what has happened or what's happening around us. And it may take five hours. It may take five days. It may take five weeks or five months or even five years. But yet it's in remembering the word of God and interpreting our lives through the lenses of the word of God that we look at those situations and we look at those times of our life through those lenses. Brothers and sisters, struggling and wrestling with hard things in life and with the scriptures and trying to reconcile these things with the word of God is not rejecting the faith. It's not rejecting the truth of the word of God, but rather it's wading through the mess, through the emotions, through the thoughts, through the doubts, being perplexed and confused. However, it is still moving in the same direction of remembering the word of God as your faith increases in Christ. And if you've ever been in that place of fear and doubt and questions in times of great loss, whoa, did I say anything wrong? If you've ever been in, in those times, in those places of fear and doubt, and you've had questions, and you've even questioned the sovereignty of God and God's goodness when such horrific tragedy or evil has happened to you, then you know what I'm speaking of. But what is it that brings us through? Maybe if you're one of them, what, what has brought you through? Pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps? It has been the word of God. It has been the word of God. And then all of a sudden, night turns into day. And you feel as if you just washed up on shore. No longer sinking, no longer drowning. And you know that all that you have gone through and dealt with 
the Lord has guided your steps and you've remembered the word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, remember the word of God. Don't quickly forget the word of God that sets our hope on such a strong, solid rock of assurance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto my path. The word of God sets us upon the promises of, of his and the resurrection and the proofs of the resurrection show us that God always keeps his promises and that we can have assurance and have faith. Don't despair in the dark times when you are perplexed, when you are confused, but remember it's why we gather every Sunday for the preaching, for the scriptures. It's because we need to be reminded and remember the words of our Lord. He is risen. Remember the word of God. And this brings us to our last point. When the women remembered the words of Jesus and they understood what had taken place, everything that they did after that moment and the rest of the passage is what we call marks of the faith. Marks of faith, the evidences of faith. And what did they do? They went and told these things. They went and told the 11, the other disciples, and the rest of those who were gathered with them. When they remembered the words of Jesus, it moved them in such a way to go back to the apostles who had been in dismay, in anguish, in fear, to tell them what they didn't see and what they did remember that morning. So that the apostles could remember the words of Jesus. And why did they do that? Why did they do that? Well, simply as this, how could such good news be left to themselves. They didn't understand everything clearly. We still don't understand everything. But what they did remember and what they knew and what they had changed everything. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is at the hope, the center of our hope. It's at the root of all of our hope. It is the grounds of our assurance. The assurance, brothers and sisters, that you and that I have been forgiven of our sins because the Lord God has accepted the sacrifices of his son for the forgiveness of sin. How do you know that you have been forgiven? Because he has been raised. How do you have assurance in the promises of God because he has been risen. Our Savior is alive. He is not dead. He is not in a tomb. That means so much. You know, that, means, that means we could pray to him. You're not at a a tomb. 
You're, you're praying to a risen, live Savior who sits at the right hand of the Father. And at the right hand of the Father, He is interceding for you. It means that we have His Spirit within us. And that He has sent His Spirit to be with us this morning. That as we gather, He will be with us. It means that He is our Good Shepherd. Even in the darkest of days, in the times of the valley of the shadow of death, we can know that He is with us. And His resurrection is a sign of the future hope that we have. Because this world isn't it. These things are are not it. It is broken. But his resurrection is a sign of our future resurrection that we will one day be raised with him with new bodies from the dead along with all of our brothers and sisters who have gone before us throughout the ages. Wow. And as the women that day went and told the apostles the good news, so are we to carry that good news, to go and tell. Do you realize that if you are in Christ Jesus, that you carry such a treasure that is so great and so fast that nothing in this world can even compare? This is a treasure that is meant to be shared It is meant to be spread and given to others freely. And when we do that, it's not a treasure that will be diminished from us. But yet it would be even more increased. The joy will increase. You don't lose the treasure when we give it away. We get more joy. And we are here today. In this century, in this place, so many years later after the resurrection, here in Statesboro, Georgia, because the Lord has ordained each and every one of us our days that we would be here in this place at this time. That we would live for his glory and that we would tell of the glory of his son to your neighbors. This is real. This isn't something ethereal to some neighbor out in, in hokey dokey land and, and somewhere in other places that you've never even heard of. No, it's, it's you I've been sovereignly put here to be a glory to God and tell everyone of our risen Savior. Even if they've heard of it before, tell them again. Tell them of the glory of Christ. Hand out that treasure freely. Give to them. Give it to your family members, to strangers, to co-workers, etc., etc., etc. And some of you pessimistic type might say to me, well, Ben, you see how it went for the women that day? It says that even the apostles considered it to be an idle tale. And they didn't believe in them. That's the very thing I'm afraid of. I don't want to be in that place. But that's not the end of the story. And it's not our job 
to convince. It is not our job to woo, to sway, to win them over with trinkets of lights and splendor, clearly. But it is our job given to us, assigned to us by our God, our Savior, Jesus Christ, to share the gospel with them. To share the gospel with them, to give them the hope Brothers and sisters, you're not going to change this world through your votes. You're not going to change this world by the anger and the, and the grief that you give to yourself when you're watching the garbage on television. What's going to change this world is how you share the gospel with others. It's going to happen individually. And our gospel is so good. It is such a good news that Christ died and was raised again and that he is our hope. And then we trust because we're, we're, we love the word of God. We trust the word of God. We trust in the sovereignty of God and we trust that God will do the work as he sees fit. And we will trust him with the results and with the glory, he will receive all of it. Can you think of another hope that our world needs today? That the other, the other confused people who are watching the same things you're watching on TV that have no hope or even participating in such things and are so angry that their souls are so broken that it manifests itself in such evil. <laughs> we have a treasure to give. Grieve at the brokenness. Grieve for our world today because sin and we of all people can grieve and should grieve before anything else because we know the destruction of sin in our own lives, in our own hearts. But thanks be to God. But thanks be to God. He has sent his son. And he sends you to be a light of Jesus Christ into this world. More than anything else, brothers and sisters, remember the word of God and go and tell because Jesus is alive. He is risen, and that changes everything. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful, so grateful for the truth of your word. May we be encouraged this morning by it, because you are risen. You have raised your son from the dead. Our hope of, of all of our uh, our Christianity existence is in Christ. Our faith is in our risen Savior who is alive and who is at the right hand of the Father who is interceding on our behalf. We look to him. And through him, our lives have been changed through the word of God. And Lord, help us to go and tell. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.